Thank you for joining us for Colossians Rooted in Christ. Let's prepare our hearts for what God has to say to us today, and please give a warm welcome to Pastor Brian Hopkins. Hi, Journey. How you doing? Really good to see you. Really, really good to see you. It's been a long time since I've seen your beautiful faces from this vantage point. We are, as the video said, embarking on a six-week study through the book of Colossians. And we're going to together, which is uh, quite appropriate that we're finding ourselves in the book of Colossians in these days. And we're going to together as a church family, we're going to unpack this reality that as followers of Jesus Christ... We are meant by God to be rooted in Christ. We are meant by God to be rooted in Christ. Now think about this. When you hear the word rooted, what comes to mind immediately? Yeah, right? Like all kinds of plant imagery, right? Some tree or some crop, some plant, maybe even some terrible weed. And we have this picture of it being established deeply and or firmly in the soil. It's rooted in the soil. And maybe you've had one of those moments when you're just sort of trucking along through life and you think things are going quite well and then so seemingly out of nowhere something just drills you. Some crisis, some test, some unexpected turn of events. And what happens in those circumstances is that the depth of our rootedness in Christ, it gets tested doesn't it? And not only does it get tested, but it gets revealed. Everyone looking on sees right there. And maybe you found yourself in a place like I found myself in the previous months that you think that you're more rooted in Christ than you really are. And if you've been there, you know that's quite a difficult realization because it kind of leaves you standing their hands on your hips going like, oh, I thought I was done with that. I thought I was healed of that. I thought the Lord had already dealt with me on that I thought, I thought, I thought, right? We go on and on and on. And time and again, the Lord, through things that come up in our lives, sometimes out of nowhere, reveals and tests how truly rooted we are in him. And so we stand on the edge of the book of Colossians, and we're going to cover basically verses 1 through 23 or so together today. And the book of Colossians in the Bible, it actually wasn't intended to be a book when it was first written. It was actually a what? Letter. That's exactly right. Penned by who? Paul. That's exactly right. To the church in the community of? uh, Yes, or uh, Colossae, they called the the town. It is uh, the town of Colossae was in what is today Western Turkey, if you can picture that in your mind. And so it's from Paul's prison cell that he writes to this new church in the community of Colossae because he desired more than anything for them that their roots go down firmly and deeply in Christ. And so no matter what happened, they stayed rooted in Christ. That they wouldn't become unrooted. They wouldn't be 
torn up out of the ground, that they would stay rooted in Christ. And so we're gonna pick up Paul's letter starting in Colossians chapter one, verses one and two. And this is uh, Paul's energetic introduction celebrating this new church, really. This letter is from Paul, he says. Chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We're writing to, check this out, to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. And you notice right away, don't you, what Paul's doing there. He's calling the Colossian Christ followers God's holy people. You're holy people, he says. You're also faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. That's who you are. And he's using purposefully exalted language here. He wants not just the Colossian Christians, but he wants us to grasp the amazing heights to which God has lifted us up to. That's who you are in Christ Jesus. Not just the Christians in the community of Colossae, but but us, we who are in Christ, we're holy ones, holy ones. Set apart for him, purposed for him. We are in Christ, partakers of all that Jesus has done, all that he was and all that he is, all that he will ever be, co-heirs and we share in all of that. And lots of people, maybe some of you this week, you had people say things about you and to you and you heard things about yourself from people that were not complimentary at all. Anyone have that happen this week? I'm sorry. But turn those tapes off. Press the stop button on those tapes and hear what Paul says is true about you. Your God's holy people. You are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. And set that on repeat in your head and heart. Because that's what's true of you. And Paul's complimenting the Colossian Christians as well in this opening on how deeply their faith in Jesus Christ has been rooted. How much it's growing up in them. Because what's true is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is meant to bear fruit isn't it? The gospel of Jesus Christ is meant to bear fruit that's revealed in a cluster of virtues that actually proves that there's a depth of rootedness below the surface. It isn't just what's going on up here, but it goes down beneath the waterline, if you want to say it that way. And Paul actually talks about some of these virtues, three of them, fundamental traits of Christian character that are evidence of a life and a faith that is deeply rooted in Jesus Christ. Their faith, their love, and their hope. Which I think brings up this question for all of us. How rooted is our faith, my faith, in Jesus Christ? How deeply rooted is my faith in Jesus Christ? And I'm of the opinion that you can answer that question by actually objectively examining those virtues of faith, love, and hope in your own life. Paul says these things are supposed to be increasingly evident in all of us, and they start with faith. Faith in who? Jesus Christ. 
And we're not just talking here about a blind jump into the dark, which is how some people view Christian faith. Not even close. Because this word believe is a darn strong word. Believe is a darn strong word. Because at its core, it means that we've been so persuaded and so convinced that something, or in this case, someone, is so entirely true that you trust your life to him. That's what it is to believe. Some time ago, there was a guy named John Patton. He was translating the Bible in the Outer Hebrides. They're an island chain off the western coast of Scotland. And he searched and searched and scoured and scoured for the exact word to translate that essential word believe into their language. And he searched and he searched and he searched and imagine one day his elation when he finally found the word. He found it. And it was this word. A word that meant to lean your whole weight upon. To lean your whole weight upon. That's what it is to believe. That's what it is to have faith in Jesus Christ. To lean your whole weight upon. And our faith in Jesus Christ isn't meant to be anything other than that right there. To lean just a little bit of your weight on Jesus is anathema to what it is to be a Christian. Really, like, do you trust him or do you not trust him? Some people like just to have a little toe in the water of Jesus. That's a long way from leaning your whole weight upon him, isn't it? And this question, I think, again and again and again can be used in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Where we just ask that question, am I leaning my whole weight upon Jesus here in this circumstance or not, in this decision, in this relationship, in this conversation? Am I leaning my whole weight upon Jesus or am I trusting in something or someone else here? Am I believing in a small g God with this decision? Perhaps I'm just trusting in myself, in my intuition, in my ability, in my whatever. Maybe in someone else's ability or their whatever. Am I trusting in anything other than Jesus or is my full weight leaned upon him? And that's where this being rooted in Jesus Christ begins. We lean our entire weight upon him, but that's just the beginning. Paul gets at it next. He says, look, your entire weight leaning upon Jesus is meant then to produce Christ-like what? Love. For other people. Maybe another way to say it would be to say it like this. The real fruit of our faith in Jesus Christ, the real fruit of our faith in Jesus Christ is a love for all people. Fleshed out in how well we love our neighbors. In particular, a love that is marked by a very unique quality, a couple of them, that it is inclusive and it is non-selective. We don't pick and choose who we love. We simply love. 
And I'm gonna confess to you right now that this has been one of the very most difficult things for me to process over the course of the past seven months. Because I think if you had asked me seven months ago if my faith in Jesus was rooted deeply, I would have said, well, yeah, I sure think so. I would have agreed that I was leaning my full weight upon Jesus. And yet I found myself upon very close examination not loving some people very well at all. One way I've said it, and it's taken me some months to actually put words to it, is that I found myself wanting to win more than I wanted to love. And that's an incredibly difficult place to find yourself in. Especially because that's not even me. That's not who I am at my core. And it was a very, very sad reality that I had to come face to face with because you know what it told me? It told me that I still had quite a few bits of my heart and life that even after all these years were not leaned entirely upon Christ. Some of that caused me not to love people well. Some of that caused me to miss beautiful opportunities to express God's love to people and I blew them. I won't ever get them back. People are hurt in some instances because I blew it. And what I've been wrestling with is that it was at the very core of the early church, it was their love It was the early church's love that made the church so amazing and so enticing to people. And so I've looked on my life and gone, what in the world, Brian, happened? What happened to you, Brian? Because when you look at the early church, what you see is that it didn't matter to them whether it was a barbarian or a Scythian or a slave or a free person or a male or a female, a Jew or a Greek, the learned and the not so learned, you know what they did? They all joined hands and they all sat down together at one table because they knew themselves to be one in and through Jesus Christ. And you know what? There hadn't been anything else like it ever. No one had seen anything like that on the face of planet earth. Christ followers deeply rooted in their faith in Jesus Christ. Christ followers leaning their whole weight upon him and then going and living their love for people. And it was this brand new thing that had come into the world and more than just a few were drawn to Christ because of this radical love. And Paul goes on, starting in verse five. You've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world and it is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard it and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved coworker. He is Christ's faithful servant and he is helping us on your behalf. Epaphras is the guy that basically started the church in Colossae. 
He heard the gospel from Paul. He goes back to his hometown. He starts sharing the gospel with people. People are coming to faith and boom, what do you know? They got a church. And he has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. Paul's, once again, he's lifting our sights off of just right here. And he's saying, look, the gospel of Jesus Christ is bearing fruit in the lives of individual believers right here, absolutely. But bigger than that, it's going out all over the world. It's part of this grand and glorious movement of God and it's springing up with rich fruit all over planet Earth. And you and I, we get to be a part of that. Astounding. That even in my mess, I get to be a part of God's grand glorious movement here on planet Earth. It's a beautiful thing because when you strip everything away from the gospel, it's primarily a message of grace, isn't it? And lots of times we tend to complicate the gospel and so, but when you boil it all down, it's primarily a message of grace. It's unmerited favor, it's undeserved kindness, it's God not giving us what we deserve. While he also gives us what we don't deserve. And it is all grace. If gra- how's, how's the lyric in the song? If grace is an ocean, we're all what? Sinking. And God's grace is an ocean. And we do sink in it. And we don't ever earn a single good thing that we receive from God. It is grace and it's nothing but grace. And see, when that truth gets rooted in our hearts, in our lives, the fruit that it bears in our lives is this supernatural ability to give grace to other people because we realize all the grace that God's given and continues to give to me, to us, in my mess. God's grace ought to cause us to look on our own lives, this like mountain I look on the enormity of my sin. And I say, oh my goodness. Look at the mountain of my sin and mess that God's forgiven me for. And he doesn't count that or he doesn't count that or he doesn't count that against me. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And when that's our posture, it becomes almost reflexive for us to give grace one to another, doesn't it? Whether the offense is minor or major, there's grace. Starting in verse 10, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. He's talking about our walk of faith, that the way we live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you'll be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you ever need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Paul's praying not just for the church at Colossae, but he's praying for us as well. 
And he's asking God for his immense and his continuous and his steady supply of power. You might even call it colossal power. Terrible, isn't it? Sorry. And you notice in Paul's prayer that the focus of that power first is for endurance, right? And what Paul has in mind there is this sort of steadfastness that enables one to hold their position in the face of battle. Paul's praying for you and he's praying for me and he's praying for the Colossian church that God would give us the supernatural ability to stand firm is one way to say it. To endure, to persevere, to remain steadfast, to stay the course no matter what it is that comes against us. Endure. And then on top of that, Paul adds in prayers for patience. And endurance, as we know, is about adverse circumstances. You know what patience is about? Patience is about difficult people. And so Paul's praying for the church at Colossae and for us that we would have long-suffering, patient spirits as we relate to people both inside and outside the church. Because if we're impatient with people, well then, they don't get to see the best of God's love in us, do they? And then comes this absolute mountain rising up right in the midst of Colossians chapter one. Check it out, starting in verse 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. You could, you could have like a month or more of quiet times just in this five, five verses right here. You could just camp out there and let this wash over you. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and he is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds, right now, he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. And he is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. What in the world is Paul doing there? He's saying, look, Christians, it's Jesus who is supreme. It's Jesus who is first over everything. And Jesus, at his very core, is the portrait of God himself. Because when God stepped out of heaven in through the person of Jesus living among us, he could be seen. That was God we were Seeing, And not only could he be seen, but he could be touched and he could be engaged with and he could model what it is to live life his way. And Paul also reminds us in there, look, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you're grafted into his body. You become a member of Christ's body. And as members of Christ's body, we become entirely dependent upon him as our head is the way Paul puts it. 
We rely on Jesus Christ, our head, for direction, which means that Jesus is the one who calls the shots, none other. Jesus is the one who calls the shots. And as the one who calls the shots for us, that means that he's first in everything, whether it's our family or it's our marriage or it's our work or it's our ministry or it's matters of thought and intellect or time or love or conversation or pleasure, you get it. Christ is first. Jesus is always first. For God, verse 19, in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God and that's all of us. All of us were once far away from God. We were his enemies separated from him by our evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are, check this out, here we go, exalted language again. He starts with it and he finishes with it. You are holy and you are blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. That's who you are in Christ. That's who you are in Christ. And God means to reconcile all of creation back to himself via the death of Jesus Christ and only the death of Jesus Christ. Because what Jesus did on the cross was he took that separation of sin upon himself to reconcile us back to God. And you know what that means? The cross of Jesus Christ is therefore the ultimate evidence that there is no boundary that the love of God will refuse to cross for the sake of our reconciliation. Not a single one. And his reconciliation, when we've embraced it, lands us in the very presence of Jesus Christ himself, holy and blameless, without a single fault. If we've been reconciled to Christ, that's our position right now. That's how God sees you right now. And he wants that, God wants that for every single person on planet Earth. And that gets real personal real fast because it also means you. God wants that for you. Reconciled to him through Christ's death on the cross and standing in his presence where he deems you holy and blameless without a single fault. I'm gonna ask you to take your stuff and set it aside if you would. Could I ask you just to move into a posture of hearing and reflecting with the Lord? Because here's the thing, we've covered a whole bunch of ground together. And there's all kinds of things that the Lord could have stirred up and maybe he did, he sure did for me. But maybe in these few quiet moments, you'd just ask the Lord to imprint upon your heart 
just one thing that he wants you to go out those doors with. What's the one thing that the Lord's asking you to go walk out in just a handful of minutes from right now? It gets real, real fast, doesn't it? And so we say together, God, what is it that you have for us, for me individually, for every person in the hearing of my voice individually, as well as us collectively? Maybe you'd just ask the Lord as sort of a follow-up. What do you want me to do about that? Because there comes this point of action, this point of engagement. What does it look like for you to go walk that truth out, that nudge out? And maybe there's some of you here today who realize that you've not ever been reconciled with God. And maybe today the desire of your heart more than anything else is to stand before God in the presence of God pure and blameless and without fault. And that's what Jesus wants for you more than anything. And if that's the case for you, you can cross the line of faith in him and that can be said of you in an instant. And if that's the desire of your heart, I just invite you to pray with me right now, right where you are. Just say to him, Jesus, I've sinned. I've sinned greatly even. And I've reached this place, Jesus, where I'm acknowledging that I'm incapable of saving myself. And so it's by faith and it's by faith alone that I gratefully receive your gift of salvation. I'm asking you, Jesus, to be my savior and be my boss, please. Here's my life. Every single bit of me. Here I am leaning my full weight, Jesus, upon you. Root me deeper and deeper in you, please, Jesus. And if you prayed with me just then, that's the biggest deal ever. Ever. And so, Jesus, we, we just say thank you 
We say thank you for everything you're doing in us, individually in us as a community, in these who are crossing the line of faith in you today, Jesus. And those of us in this room who have known you for a long, long time, you're at work. And we're so grateful, and we ask that that work would continue, that you're you're rooting us deeper and deeper into you would just go on and on and on and that we would bear great fruit for you because you're worth it and because we love you.